0: And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'd
1: like to welcome you again. I'm very excited about today. Today is not what you might consider a typical series even though the format is going to be like a typical series. It's something that's a little bit different that we're going to do twice a year. Our first core value at Believer's Church is formation. So we have formation, community, servanthood, and multiplication. What formation means is to become students of Jesus. And that's really what our calling, every single person in here, though some of you may be singers, some of you may be pastors, some of you may be teachers. So you have different roles in the body of Christ. We are all called to be disciples, and we are we are all called to become students of Jesus. We become students of Jesus through the process of learning and then through the process of applying. What is it exactly that we are learning? Primarily, what we would call spiritual disciplines, and this is what formation is all about. So if you're wondering what a spiritual discipline is, if that's a a phrase that's maybe not very common to you, we're talking about, to give you some examples, prayer, fasting, giving, scripture reading, which is what we're talking about in in this practice, practicing Sabbath, you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? Worship, serving, silence and solitude, as you tell yourself, well, I'm not a monk, Uh, these different practices that Jesus practiced that have been practiced throughout church history. Typically in the West, as Protestants, we think about Scripture reading and prayer as if there's not anything else there. But in order to embody the full teachings of Jesus and be what we're supposed to be, there are actually a lot of spiritual disciplines. All right, so we're going to have a chance to go through many of these, and some of these go through more than once over the next few years. Every spring and fall, we are, and this is spring, we're going to spend four to ten weeks specifically focusing on one of these spiritual disciplines. The goal will be for you to deeply implement this practice into your life. All right, that's the goal. Now, for me to stand up here and talk about how important it is, but for you to be able to take it, for you to be able to learn it, and then eventually for you to be able to master it. That's what it means to be a student of Jesus, and that's what we're talking about with spiritual formation. In the fall, I'll go ahead and tell you, we are going to focus on hospitality, and we're probably going to take five to six weeks to talk about hospitality. For now, in the spring, we're going to take six weeks, and we're going to discuss Scripture. Some of you, uh, this is going to be completely new, and you're going to say, well, I've always wondered about reading the Bible, or I've had a desire to read the Bible, I've just not really known where to start, or I've not known exactly how to do that. You're going to learn that in great detail in this series, as much as we can over the course of six weeks. There are others of you in here that feel as if, and there's probably some truth in this, that you could teach me some things about reading the Bible because you've been reading it for so long. But what I'd like to do in this series for you is challenge you to think about some things in the Bible and to look at it just a little bit differently in in some ways. Now there is a section of our website. I believe it's under I believe it's under resources. But it's called recommended readings. If you if you want to look there on your phone now, you can. If you want to wait till later, that's fine too. But under recommended readings, the reason that that we created this area of the website is because every time we do one of these practices, we wanna give you guys some resources that you can actually read on your own. So there's about 10 books that I've listed under recommended readings. If you wanna pick up two or three of those, you can. If you find one title that's appealing and you wanna read it, that's fine. If you're ambitious and you wanna read all 10, go for it, all right? Some of you are not even gonna look at it, let's just be honest, but that's okay. It's there if you want it, if there's a few titles. I will also say that I don't endorse every single position or every single viewpoint of every single one of these books. So make sure that you understand that. There are some that I agree with everything, and there are some that I want to stretch your thinking as far as Scripture is concerned, because I know that it certainly stretched mine, and I would be more than willing to discuss some of these books, because in my opinion, they're all all great. All right, so this is how we're going to break this practice down For the first three weeks, we're gonna focus primarily on learning. I think that learning is somewhat useful, but I think that applying is more useful. So, when we talk about learning, what we're gonna talk about are the origins of Scripture, all right, which is what we're gonna talk about today, controversy surrounding Scripture. So, you say, what do you mean the Bible is a controversial book? Yeah, it kinda is. It is to a lot of people, especially people. outside of the church. So we're not going to nitpick every single little issue of controversy, but I at least want to approach that. And then in week three, we're going to talk about context. There is one central important thing. I've heard it said this way, actually. There's two things that are really important as you approach Scripture to read it. The first is context, to make sure you're reading in context. The second, context make sure you're reading in context. All right, so origins, controversy, context. This is going to be the actual actual background learning part of what we're going to do through the first three weeks. The, the next three weeks, which I think will be just a little bit more important for you guys that are really wanting to learn how to study better, will provide you with the tools and resources for becoming a true and dedicated student of Holy Scripture. So what we're going to talk about in those three weeks, first, week four, study, week five, developing what I'm going to call a a daily rhythm, and then week six, how useful is all this if we're really not being obedient to what it says? So we're going to look at some ways, if you don't know where to start, if you don't know how to read the Bible, we're going to talk about study. We're going to talk about uh, developing a, a daily and regular rhythm. And then we're going to talk about what it means to take what is here and actually apply it in your life. All right, so this morning I want to open up with a passage. By the way, community groups do start back tonight. So even if you've never been in a community group, be here tonight at 6. It's going to be great. We're going to discuss some of this stuff. And some of our groups already have things that they're studying, but you can jump right in. It's central to what we do. Uh, Try to be here tonight. We took last week off for Easter. But this is a passage. I mentioned that my group actually just recently looked At this passage, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is probably a passage that we are going to return to at one time or another through this series. In fact, I think we might be in it for just a minute next week as well, but I do know that we are returning to it at some point. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn there, we're going to be in verses 14 through 13. This is the New Revised Standard Version. We are going to talk a lot about translations also in this series. So I'm going to read. Uh, Starting in verse 14 and then down through the end of the chapter, this is what uh, Paul is telling Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, the apostles. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through Christ Jesus. Now, this is the important part right here it's all important but this is the significant part that i want to point out that you often hear referenced whenever we're talking about scripture within scripture all scripture is inspired by god and is useful for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to god may be proficient and equipped for every Good work, an absolutely critical scripture. So, Paul is writing at this point from a prison cell. If it is Paul that is writing this, we we believe it is, but if it's not, it's someone who is writing in Paul's name, which is a very common thing in the Bible uh, for writers. It's not like today we would probably consider that to be plagiarism. In the Bible, it's not. Often, people wrote in the names of other people but we believe it was Paul. And he is writing to the young Timothy about this difficulty in the last days. And he has this charge for Timothy, his disciple. Now, St. Timothy, something that you need to understand about him is that he is born to a Jewish mother who is referenced in, in scripture, who then converts to Christianity. This is important because it means that he was well-versed and born. He understood the sacred writings of what we would actually call the Old Testament. It's not always been called the Old Testament, but what we would call the Old Testament. But because of his salvation, he also has an understanding of Jesus, a very strong understanding. Now, this letter was probably written, and I know that this is a pretty broad framework, between 90 and 140. All right, so like a 50-year gap in the, in the first century going into the second, uh, second century. So Timothy would have likely had access to the first three Gospels. See, this is how confused we are about all this. You're assuming as Jesus is walking around or as Paul as, is ministering to Timothy that they have a copy of this, like you and I do. No, they're in this. They're the story of this. So whenever this is being talked about, a lot of you, at times we think that they just have this manuscript that they carry around. Did you know that it wouldn't even be 1,500 years later until people actual, actually had like a physical copy of the Bible like you and I have? Context. It's very important to understand this stuff as we go. But more than likely, because of this time period, he did have access in the synagogue To Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels or the first three gospels. So he had a really strong understanding of who Jesus was. Now, this charge is going to be a theme throughout this practice, throughout this series. What is the Bible actually for? Okay, this is what we see that it's for. It is useful, number one, for teaching. All right? So you can write this down. You can take a picture of this because you really need to think about this. This is what the Bible is. It's useful for teaching. All right, revealing what's wrong, correcting what's wrong, and a lot of people who are outside of the faith and some people who are inside of the faith really have a problem with number two and number three here because they want to, in essence, create their own morality or they believe in a system of right and wrong that may conflict. It's the responsibility of the believer as they read Holy Scripture and they hold a certain prejudice. Or certain views or certain politics that Scripture shows us what's wrong and then corrects what's wrong. So we talked about the importance of teaching or learning, but then the training part, that last part, that's the application. That's how you actually take what you are being taught, where you're being corrected, where you're understanding human flourishing and what life is supposed to look like. And then you become trained into a way of living. All right, so we're going to revisit this in some fashion. But today I want us to focus on some very, very early things. And the first is this. I want you to think about this. Where in the world did this book come from? All right, where in the world? Now listen, in the Bible Belt, in Protestant circles, and I do apologize because I do think I might say some things that could offend I don't mean to do that, okay? But we believe a lot of times that this book literally just fell from the sky in the exact order it was supposed to be in, written exactly like what it is that we have today, letter for letter, word for word, in one instant second, penned by the hand of God. And all of a sudden that we we, we just kind of came upon it. In reality, this is a book that has a history. This is a book that has a very long and, in some cases, very complicated history. So, for our purposes, what we want to do today is look a little bit closer than this. But you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, some people who hold this book to be very sacred, and I fall into that category, but they don't even have a clue what it says. They don't. And in our area, again, this is a Bible Belt thing, and I don't know why it always has to come down to a house fire. But people say, if there's a house fire, you know what the first thing is I'm going to run out with. What do they say? What do they say? Right, not their child, <laughs> you know, you know not, not a family heirloom, and not just the Bible. Often it's the family Bible. It's that Bible, and some of you are a little bit too young for this, the real big one that sits on the coffee table that you can blow the dust off of. You know, people are like, if anything happens, we're going to run out with the family Bible, and they're doing that as a representation of how sacred they're saying it is to them. But I will promise you, seven times out of ten, if not more often, they don't even know a lot of what it says. We're just being real with some of this stuff today. Okay, so, so one thing that I want to do is talk just a little bit. I'm going to do this pretty quickly. This is going to be the quickest church history or, or Bible history that you've ever heard. But I want to talk a little bit about the origins of this book and where this book actually comes from, because I believe it's deserving of that. I am not going to live in the crowd that it just fell from the sky all of a sudden. All right, it's sacred. It's powerful. It's powerful. It directs every single decision that I make in my life. And for those reasons, it's worthy of the history that it has. So let's go back to the beginnings, 1400 uh, to 400 BC. This is a huge period of time. We're talking about a thousand years. The books of the Hebrew Testament, what we call the Old Testament, a lot of times uh, these, these testaments are called the Hebrew Testament, and the Christian Testament. But we typically refer to them as the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? So 1400 to 400, you've got the books of the Hebrew Old Testament are written and written in Hebrew, all right? Fast forward over 400 years between 45 and 85, and this 85 has a question mark beside of it because it's likely that it goes much further than this. We just talked about this letter that we've read from today being dated between 90 and 140. All right, but around this time, so if you look at 45, that's uh, 12 to 15 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay? So is Mark walking along and keeping notes about everything that Jesus says? No, because he doesn't have a pencil and a piece of paper. And he can't edge it into stone in the moment and remember everything. This is oral history. All right, Old Testament and New Testament, with the exception of the letters of Paul that are actually written, and some of the other letters, it's oral history that this is based on. Forty-five to eighty-five, probably a little bit longer. Now, keep in mind that the separation here, when we talk about four hundred years from, we'll say Malachi to Matthew, if we're just looking between the testaments, think about how long of a period God was silent to the prophets. Four hundred years. Do you know how long that is? Four hundred years ago. Settlers were settling into Jamestown before this was even a country. To give you some perspective as to what 400 years look like now, not far after that, 90 to 118 AD, the councils of Jamnia gave final affirmation for the Old Testament canon. For us as Protestants, that's 39 books of what we call an Old Testament. All right, what the Old Testament is going to look like into the future. Okay, so. 305 to 310, Lucian of Antioch develops the Greek New Testament that is eventually going to become the foundation of the New Testament. Again, keep in mind, this is 300 years after the actual life of Christ. So again, the view and the opinion that a lot of people have Is that the Bible just kind of showed up at the beginning of time and it was sitting in this sacred place? No, we're talking about God inspired individuals actually writing books over a period of time based primarily on an oral history or what they could remember. This is the way that the Bible was written. 397, just a few years later, the Council of Carthage establishes an Orthodox New Testament. 27 books, and then probably most important to this entire list because of the contribution in, in society at this time. In 400, Jerome translates the Bible into Latin. We call this the Vulgate. The reason that this is so important is because this was the Bible of the medieval church. When you look at the medieval era, we're talking about a thousand more years. This is the translation that was used, an absolutely significant period of history so please understand this it will not be separated into chapters and verses as i understand it and, and as you guys talk, when you say turn to psalm 1187 it's not separated like that until years later it will be later that the psalms and the 10 commandments are actually translated it will be much later with the, in, uh, the invention of the printing press, that the Bible is mass-produced, and people can actually read it and have a copy. This is 1,500 years after Christ. So here's something to consider. Through the majority of Christian history, we look at Christi- Christ- Christian history being roughly, what, 2,000 years? Through the majority seventy five percent of Christian history or a little bit more, people did not carry around a copy of the Bible like you do today. People did not have a copy in their car by their bedstand, where they, they they go into their office with quiet and they study it the way that I do. There is rarely a time that my Bible is not with me, but for the majority of Christian history, the Bible was translated. Uh, for us by other people. Another significant day, uh, date, especially for those of you that really, really love this translation, it's in 1611 that we get the King James Version of the Bible. Okay? So this is quite a history. The Bible has been through many translators. The Bible's had some books left out uh, for a variety of reasons, usually because of conflicts. The book of James was almost written out. Martin Luther wanted to leave um, James out because of the passage on faith without works is dead. He said that work should not have been considered because salvation is just by faith. Uh, Depending on if you're Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant, each Bible looks a little bit different. For example, we have 66 books. Catholics add the Apocrypha. All right, so we're talking about even different things that we are reading. Now, as I've sown a lot of doubt in your minds, we can go a little bit further. And a more important question, what is the purpose of this book? All right, so how did this book come about? This book has a history. It is not a history that we can deny. It's not a history that's up for debate. All right, so what is the purpose of this book? Why does it exist, and why is it still in existence after this many years? Why is it still used as frequently as as it actually is? We did say this earlier. It's useful for teaching, revealing what is wrong, correcting what is wrong, and for training. But why is it that so many other religious texts... And so many other important literary masterpieces have died out, but the Bible has managed to stand and last the test of time. Now, you're often going to hear positions, especially within the church, that include that the Bible is inspired, that the Bible is inerrant, which means that it's without error, and that the Bible is infallible. Which would suggest that the Bible is incapable of being wrong. Now, you're also going to hear the opposite of this, often from people outside of the faith. This scripture is fiction. This scripture is inconsistent. This scripture is outdated. What might have made sense for archaic people a long time ago that would have never understood the morals and the values of the 21st century, that might have made sense then. But it's completely lost on this generation. It's not as important as it once was. But when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about Holy Scripture, we're talking about the best selling book in the world every single year. Over a hundred million copies. The Bible has been translated into over six hundred. And 90 languages. It is by far, by far the most influential book in the world that's ever been published. You wanna know what the second bestseller in the world is over time? Quotes by Mao Zedong, leader of the China Communist Party. That's number two, and it's way down the list. So, the way that I wanna, wanna close out today is I want to talk about why this book is so important to me and what I believe about it. And I can tell you right now and I I won't go into tremendous detail about this is old faithful and I have a lot of bibles. This is my my Wesley study Bible, New Revised Standard Version, my favorite translation. If I were to flip through this Bible, my there there's marks every my kids have marked in this Bible. They have found it even recently. I I I was telling dad the other day, I try to have a good attitude about it. I I even put the dates that Levi marks in them because one day it's going to make me really sad that he's no longer walking around marking in my Bibles. I carry these, these things everywhere. Did you know that sometimes some of you may sleep with a teddy bear? Did you know that I sleep with my Bible on hard nights? Did you know that my wife sleeps with her Bible more often than she does? They're usually between us, almost like we're not married yet and we're trying to protect things. I don't know but our Bibles are literally everywhere we go. You walk in our house, and this includes Callie's room a lot of times, you're going to see an open Bible. Every single thing that I go through, every single question that I have, every fear, doubt, worry, concern, this is where I go. And you want to know the crazy thing about it? Because I've went other places in the past it's never steered me in the wrong direction. One single time. One time. Because I've thought before, especially with political views that I've had, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like this. And of course, a lot of times I'm, un, I'm not understanding what it's saying in context. But it's, it's, it's revolutionary in that way. So, so let me just share a few things as we close first, because this is going to set the framework for the rest of what we talk about. First is this. I believe that the Bible adequately tells the story of God. All right, that's the first part that I want to mention, all right? I believe that if you want to understand the nature of God, the character of God, the mind of God, the way that God views humanity, my belief is that this is where you go, All right? People aren't afraid of God today. They're afraid of religion. So what that means is that we have a lot of people who are looking for God in other places, and whenever they say things about God, they are going to culture, or they are going to other resources, and you have a completely different definition of the way that you see God here. My view, and you may disagree, is that that is more dangerous than atheism. Is my view, because we're building up false gods and we're building up conceptions, so. If you are coming at this idea of God from a Judeo-Christian perspective, all right? Maybe you're not, and if you're not, that's fine. But if you are, this has to be your resource, and you can't compromise that. Otherwise, you're creating a God that looks a lot like you. All right, and I'm going to tell you something. And I would love to pride myself as a wonderful person, but I just can't. My God doesn't look a lot like me. I think my God's probably a lot more relaxed than I am. I don't think my God has the bursts of anger or the issues that I have. So defining the character of God is absolutely important. But also, I believe the Bible is bigger than the labels that we assign. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm really tired of fundamentalists and their labels. And I'm really tired of the secularists on the other side with their labels. And I really get tired on social media of a lot of people who are on this really high religious pedestal uh, believing that they've got everything figured out about this book. Because I'm going to tell you something really strange that's happened with me with with age, because I thought I might get smarter or, or wiser. I'm learning that I actually understand by the day less and less and less. Now, now the good part about that is it, is it is creating more trust and more dependence. But things that I felt so certain of at 28 or at 35, it's like I'm having to like redraw the board or something because everything seems, seems weird and different. All right, but number three, I believe that the Bible, and I believe this with all my heart, provides the moral framework for human flourishing. And what I mean about that is the ethics here, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. If you want me to take one part of the Bible, do I think that there's one part of the Bible as far as that is, that is extremely significant? I think it's all very, very significant, and important. But the most original teachings of Jesus are Matthew 5 through 7. And I believe that the ethics that we have here lead to the greatest form of human flourishing, or what it means to be happy, what it means to live a full life, what it means to really not feel like you're always chasing things, but instead it's coming to you in a way that you never could have anticipated, okay? Another thing that I would say is that this book has greatly reformed and reshaped my politics, all right? I don't come to the Bible and expect it to adapt to my ethics and my politics. There have been times I've come to Beth and I've had a conversation and I've said, my views have to change on this. And she's like, what are you talking about? You felt this way and this passionate about this particular thing for so long. I'm like, Scripture, the Spirit will no longer let me take this path. And if you've never had that experience with something, I don't care if you're a a Republican or a Democrat, if you've not had an experience like that where it shifted you, you might need to ask some questions about where this book is and the authority that it actually has in your life. Now, you may be willing to say, Well, I don't care. I disagree with it because I believe that I'm right about this. I believe these are human rights. I believe these are values that we need to, to take very seriously. And if that's the case, I'm not giving you a hard time. You're, you're entitled uh, to your values and your views. I'm saying that if you're trying to make something scriptural and fit it into your little box, the Bible is so much bigger than the labels we assign, and it's bigger than the boxes. All right, so the last thing that I'll say this morning about the Bible and, and where we'll take this series, because it's going to start getting better after today, is that I believe that the Bible perfectly corresponds to human need. Perfectly. So listen, this is what I'm saying. I am not anti-medication. I am not anti-therapy. In fact, I, I, I believe in both of those things. Um, I'm not anti uh, read some other things that could possibly be of great value to you. I'm, I'm for that as well. But when it comes to the most the darkest and the most difficult moments within you, there is nothing that will heal you like what's here. Now, now I go to the Psalms, all right, uh, uh, because I'm a weeper and a whiner, and I, and I find that to be the place where that's how David writes. I need to lament on a regular basis. But there have been times when I have not known what to do I've not known how to make a decision in ministry. Felt like, you know, marriage is all over the place. Blown up on somebody and realized I really said something stupid. Felt like I'd been between a rock and a hard place and there was absolutely nothing to do. And I have received answers every single time. Every time I have fallen asleep when we lived in Kentucky, I have fallen asleep, and Beth will remember this on my on Cora's rug that was right beside her bunk beds in her bedroom with my Bible beside me. Crying and woke up restored. It's the only hope we have. I don't care if you're an addict. I don't care if you struggle with with pornography. If you're in a really, really hard place in your marriage. If you look at your relationship history and you're just like, I am horrible at relationships. Or any kind of issues that you might have. This book perfectly corresponds to human. It brings things out of you. That Like, like you think, I'm good at this. This is the direction my life is taking. And it brings things out of you that you just never could have imagined. It's incredible in every single way. But maybe the biggest question that we have uh, today that I want you to consider is what do you believe is the purpose of this book? Okay? Uh, What do you believe is the purpose of this book? So. Some of you might have grown up and, and you had, and this is more and more and more and more common, you had no exposure to this book whatsoever, and you kind of just have an indifferent, you know, well, I, I, I guess it's okay, it's for some people, not for other people, I guess it's all right, you know, you, that, that may be your view. Others of you may have grown up and, and saw it greatly abused, and you, you, you would burn a copy if, if, you, if you had it. I am so ashamed to say this, and I've talked about some darkness in my past, but I can remember a time whenever I used to go to hotels, whenever I would travel a lot, and those flat Gideon Bibles were about the best thing you could find to roll joints on. I can remember that like it was yesterday. I could not stand this book because of a lot of the emotions that I had toward it as I got older. Some of you may have a situation where you you depend on it, and you say that you trust it, But whenever it really comes down to it, there's no application whatsoever. You're one of these people that you put it on a pedestal, you're gonna run out of the the house and you're gonna make sure, you know, out of the family fire and you're gonna make sure that you take care of it while you physically abuse your spouse or you throw out racial slurs. It's a lot of people. Some of you in here, my goal is if this book is everything to you, that you will gain an even deeper and greater appreciation for the life change that is here. I started with this spiritual discipline for a reason. Out of all the things that are important, fasting, giving, worship, practicing Sabbath, all of these things, the greatest indicator of spiritual growth and discipleship is how much regular time you spend in this book and also applying what is here. Father, we come to you this morning just thanking you for for giving us a map, for giving us something that we we can follow. Uh, God, we are grateful for the work that you continue to do among us. And Father, help us to be people of the book. Help us to be people that are constantly challenged by what Scripture says to us. It's so difficult just to randomly open it up and and hope we're in a place that'll be good to read. God, that's confusing. Translations are confusing. A lot of the books of the Bible are very confusing. But Father, help us to believe in the living water that is there and to learn and to apply. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church Podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit believerschurchjc.com and enjoy the rest of your week.